I was uh, fortunate enough to be posted um, by my employer to New York and had five uh, wonderful years there, experienced many new things, uh, things that we could never have dreamed of doing as a family. My children were just young. Um, and uh, one of the things we were able to do while we were there was have some amazing uh, vacations. And uh, probably the most amazing of these vacations was to drive across the US from uh, California to New York. Uh, and yes, of course, we saw the Grand Canyon. And yes, of course, we saw the Smoky Mountains. Uh, but for me, it was some of the more unusual sights uh, that uh, really thrilled me. And the, some of those, uh, well, first of all, we traveled along um, Route 66, so, which is in itself iconic. But along the way, we saw some amazing and bizarre sights. So some kitsch Americana, so 50-foot-high billboards with cowboys advertising Marlboro cigarettes. Uh, but some of my favorites along the way were these. The, wing, the Wigwam Motel where guest rooms were 20-foot-high wigwams constructed from concrete, uh, which the guests uh, had as their rooms. Now, the another one was Graceland, uh, that's Elvis' home in Memphis, and the legendary uh, Sun Studios, where lots of the old rock and roll uh, hits were in uh, recorded, including many of Elvis' hits. Uh, let's see, the Barb Wire Museum, definitely one of my favorites. Barb Wire Museum in the panhandle of Texas where they have on display tens of thousands, and I do not exaggerate, tens of thousands of different varieties of barbed wire, which were used when the West was one uh, to obviously herd the cattle. The one I want to talk to you about tonight though is, was our first stop. And having seen the, uh, the 1987 film of the same name, I wanted our first stop to be Baghdad cafe. You head out of LA through Pasadena and into the desert and then in the middle of nowhere where in one direction you've got Hollywood and in the other direction you've got Las Vegas and all of the bright lights and in the middle you have Baghdad cafe in the middle of nowhere. If you haven't seen the movie and if you haven't been to Baghdad cafe you've seen it a in a thousand different movies. It is that truck stop in the middle of nowhere, where surrounded by a scrapyard, and when you enter, the music stops, and every turn, every head turns to look at you, and it's that look that says, "You're not from round these parts, are you, Mister?" That's Baghdad Cafe, and we're tonight. We're going to be talking about a place like Baghdad Cafe, and how someone got stuck in a place like Baghdad Cafe. Let's turn to our reading. You have it on the screen. We're reading from um, Genesis chapter 12, and we're reading about Abraham's family. This is the account of Terah's family line. Terah became the father of Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. And while his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in the Ur of the Chaldeans, in the land of his birth. Abraham and Nahor both married. The name of Abraham's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, 
and the father of both Milcar and Iscar. Malsarah was childless because she was not able to conceive. Terah took his son, Abram, his grandson, Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law, Sarai, the wife of his son, Abraham, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. to talk tonight about getting stuck. Have you ever felt like you're stuck or you've got stuck? Maybe you're a Christian and you've set out full of faith and hope, but life's been going along just fine and then something cuts across your path. And you don't seem to be able to recover. It might be an illness or a disability, the loss of a loved one, a relationship, maybe um, You've lost that special person or maybe you never had that special person and life seems to have passed you by. And maybe it's more serious than that. Um, My friends Jared and Jeannie um, suffered terrible bereavement and grief when uh, Jared was a friend of mine in New York. We prayed together. Uh, And then he left his well-paid job and he went to work for Alpha, head up Alpha USA. And um, while he was looking after Alpha, his 17-year-old son, Alex, was persuaded to take some drugs by some friends, had a terrible overdose, and he hanged himself just in the, the woods near their home. Some years later, returning to an Alpha UK conference here in HTB, actually, they received a call from the local police department up in Illinois saying that their daughter, Rebecca, had drowned in a terrible accident in the lake. Maybe we could talk about being a victim of betrayal. Pauline Hutchison was a young woman who gave her life to Christ, but when her father returned from the war, the Second World War, He began sexually assaulting her. She ended up with an unfaithful husband and in a dead-end marriage. Or maybe people who suffer evil, like Betsy, whose sister tells a story how they opened their home to Jews, fleeing from the Nazis, but they were themselves uh, sent to a concentration camp where they led many to Christ. But Betsy nevertheless died horribly. Now, maybe your story's not as dramatic as these, and it might be something as simple as not doing so well in your exams. Whatever it is, though, whatever it's physical, mental, emotional, relational, or social, that it, that thing, has left you scarred, and worse than that, it seems to have entangled you. And as Jesus said in explaining the parable of the sower, he said, we receive the word... But when trouble or persecution comes, or the worries of this life choke the word, they make it unfruitful. And so maybe, far from being fruitful and being a blessing and a comfort to others, 
you yourself feel you need help, you need comfort, and somewhere along the line, you've stopped moving forward with God and have come to a halt. Well, as I said, our story this evening is about such a person, and we've been reading about Abraham. Everybody knows Abraham. He's the father of two, at least two ancient civilizations. The Jews and the Arabs claim him as their ancestor. He's the father of three major world religions, with the Jewish, Islamic, and the Christian faiths all reckoning Abraham as the father of the faith. But today, we're going to talk about one even greater than Abraham, and I want to talk to you about his father, Terah. So as we've just read, um, Terah was the father who left his home in Ere of the Chaldeans with his family, including Abraham. And he, in his old age, was willing to embark on that journey from uh, all the way around the Fertile Crescent uh, to Canaan. Terah is the father of the father of the faith. And yet, why is it that hardly any of us have heard of him, let alone revere him as a great patriarch of the faith? Okay, so what I hope we're going to see is that, like so many of us, Terah, maybe like you, set out with good intentions, but he got stuck and he settled for something else. And we read this in verse 31. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, his daughter-in-law Sarai, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldees to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. It says, Terah took his son Abraham. It was he who began the great journey of faith to go to Canaan. And then it says, but, but when they came to Haran, they settled there. Now, if ever there was a big but, and I've got to be careful how I say that, if ever there was a big but in the Bible, it, it must be this one. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. And worse, in the next verse, Terah lived 205 years and he died in Haran. Now, Haran is reckoned to be the modern village of San Leofa. Apologies to anybody who speaks the language. I've probably murdered it. It's about halfway around the Fertile Crescent. It's uh, halfway around from Ur to Egypt. It's not much to talk about even today, but back then it was nothing. It may not even have been a village. It, the name simply means road or crossroads. You look one way to the great cities of Ur and Babylon. You look the other way to the civilization, great civilization of Egypt, but where you're standing is a barren nowhere. Haran is Baghdad Cafe desert. It's a place where people want to escape from or people like Jacob later in the story who is fleeing uh, from his, his brother and he chooses to live there. Only people who are fleeing for their lives would choose to live in a place like this. The commentaries tell us that the, main, the name actually means parched or arid place. So when later in the story Jacob flees, as I said, from his brother Esau, he meets his future wife there by a well. And it says that the well had a large stone across it to prevent anybody getting the water before the allotted time. 
It's an arid, mean, and ungrateful place where nobody trusts anybody. It's also the sort of place where your sister might also be your aunt, as it was with Lot and his sister. It's a place where the likes of Uncle Laban, later in the story, the twisted and mean brother of Rebecca, he cheats and double-crosses Jacob and barters even with the lives of his own daughters. Why did terror get stuck in a place like Haran? Okay, well, we're not actually told, uh, but back in verse 28, it says this. While, terror, well, while his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his Now, when we suffer a loss or a setback like those I've just speak, spoken about, or you know, perhaps a difficult marriage or maybe a disability, as I said, maybe we don't even just get the grades we need, or life's just hard and complicated and messy as it is for many of us. Jesus said, the worries of this life can begin to choke us. When we have those times, we can choose to go one of two ways. We can choose to move on. Not always easy. And we're going to talk about that. Or we can let those things define us. So you're not simply a person who had a relationship that didn't work out. You become a rejected person. Or you're not someone who simply failed their exams. You're a stupid person or a failure or like I was some years ago you're not simply a person who's lost a dear wife you become a widower and you wear that title like a trophy we can allow these things to define us and if we do that we are in danger of getting stuck if we hang on to the thing that we've loved in such a way that it becomes to dominate our lives we become defined by that thing. As Jonah said, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that can be theirs. We forfeit God's grace in our lives and begin to live a life of fruitlessness. And worse than that, we begin to forfeit God's grace. In short, we start to live in Haran. And that terror, I believe, was stuck in this way. Why? Because of the bereavement of his son, Lot's father. Why do I think that? Because he settles in the middle of nowhere in a place that takes on the name of his dead son. He doesn't just grieve the loss of Haran. He chooses to live in Haran. He inhabits his grief. He doesn't just experience bereavement. He becomes a bereaved person and joy and hope have gone out of his life. He chooses to live in a parched and unfruitful place. Okay, that's what can happen. Is that what's happened to you? You started out well living in the fullness of the promises of God, but perhaps you forgot this one promise of Jesus. In this world... You will have trouble. 
That's a promise, isn't it? In this world, you will have trouble. But then he says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I was really impressed a couple of years ago when all over the news it was announced that Justin Welby was not the son of the father that he thought he was, but actually of another man. And indeed he was illegitimate. And he said this in response to the press. He said, my identity is in Christ. Okay. It might be hard to, uh, to make that recovery, but we have to know where our identity is. And it's not in our troubles. Paul said, who shall separate, it from, separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardships or persecutions or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Okay, so I want to talk to you about those people who've had troubles. Uh, they could have let those troubles define them, but they didn't. So my friends, Jared and Jeannie, Jer uh, Jeannie especially suffered terribly after Alex had killed himself. And she became very bitter. I remember meeting up with them in New York and, and she was in a terrible state, not the woman she had been. But when her other child, Rebecca, died and was drowned, she became borderline psychotic, I'd say. But Gerard kept calling out to God and having hope. And then one day, Jeannie called out to God herself, had an encounter with Jesus, and was instantly set free. Today, Gerard and Jeannie have a ministry called Awakening to God, which helps those who are struggling with suicide, with grief and loss, and it ministers to millions of poor people in India. Pauline Hutchison, after a failed marriage, this is from uh, this is from Wikipedia. After her failed marriage, Pauline remarried Dave Meyer and started using her middle name. You know her as Joyce Meyer. Unhappiness drove Joyce deeper into her faith, and during an intense prayer. While driving to work one morning in 1976, she heard God call her name. She got home that evening, uh, that day, from a, a beauty appointment, full of liquid love, she said, and she was drunk with the Spirit of God. Today, Joyce Meyer, who will know the name, is one of the foremost evangelists in the USA. Betsy, you know Betsy's story because her sisters called Corey. Ten Boom, and she's the author of The Hiding Place. But before she died in Ravensbrück concentration camp, Betsy told Corrie this, there is no pit so deep that he, God, is not deeper still. And Corrie, as you know, went around the world after the war, having forgiven the guards at Ravensbrück camp, preaching love and forgiveness around the world. Now, since I'm on a roll, I want to tell you about another of my vacations, which was to go to um, Jerusalem with my late wife. Uh, and we stayed in what I reckon is the best hotel in Jerusalem. Can't be far from the truth because Tony Blair stayed there as well. Uh, but it sits uh, um, on the east, between East and West Jerusalem, and it's called the American Colony Hotel. Okay, I want to tell you the story of the American Colony Hotel. 
Born in 1828, Horatio Spafford was a prominent Chicago lawyer and a supporter of the evangelist D.L. Moody. In 1871, the Spafford's four-year-old son died of scarlet fever. In the spring of that year, Spafford's real estate investments were destroyed in the Chicago fire. Two years later, while crossing the Atlantic, all of Spafford's daughters were drowned. Only his wife, Anna, survived the shipwreck. In the following years, Anna gave birth to three more children, Horatio, Bertha, and Grace. Horatio died of scarlet fever at age three. Despite all of this, the following year, the Spaffords went to Jerusalem to set up the American colony to engage in philanthropic work amongst the poor Muslim, Jewish, and Christian communities. That work continued into the 20th century. And during the war, when Palestine itself became a battleground, the American colony ran the hospitals, ran soup kitchens, ran an orphanage. Today, the Spaffords Children's Center is still providing outreach prog programs to Arab families in Jerusalem. And since the 1950s, the colony's second site on the border between East and West Jerusalem has functioned as a hotel named the American Colony Hotel. And even today, the hotel provides common meeting ground between the opposing factions in today's troubled and divided Palestine. What was the secret of Spafford's fruitfulness coming out of all of that grief and loss? What was Joyce, Jeannie's, and Betty's secret? Well, back in 1873, following the shipwreck, Spafford himself took a ship and sailed to England to join his wife. And as he approached the spot where his daughters were lost, he poured out his soul. And he poured it out and wrote the lyrics of the hymn, I don't know if you have it up here, the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. Tell me you have that up. When peace, like a river, attendeth my way, approaching the sea, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. Second verse. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my sin. When you're feeling unfruitful, if the cares of life are getting you down, if you're struggling with some of these huge issues, we can pour out our hearts to God and he will move us. If you're stuck in your own version of Iran, maybe you're you have some of these issues in your own life and they've complex and they might need professional help. I know I did. But like Jeannie, Joyce and Horatio, our journey to fruitfulness, our journey to getting out of Haran will often begin by calling out to God with prayer for the anointing of the Spirit. Now, another one greater than Abraham is here tonight. Jesus is here by his spirit. And he longs to put us all on that road back to fruitfulness. So 
um, as we have worship, perhaps we'll find time um, to, for those who really need to, to come and call out to God and receive from him. Begin that journey out of Haran tonight by calling out to God.